Coming up, the number one fantasy book podcast, breaking down the scrolls and spells of nerd culture. We're Phantology. You may have heard of us. I hope they're bold enough to make some uh, creative decisions to move away from the uh, the source material because it sounds like the video game has done that and they've they've had a lot of success in doing so. Yeah, I hope it's like season eight of Game of Thrones. Oh my gosh! Don't even go there. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm I'm still not over that. Some bold moves went down in that season. Bold but unfortunate because Dave and Dave, what is the stray? CD Project Red, so much better than Dave and Dave. Okay, welcome to another episode of Phantology. Before we get started, quick note, if you like the content we're putting out, join our Discord. You can find the invite link on our Twitter page, at Phantology Books. It's the top pinned tweet, and feel free to hop on there and let us know how we're doing and what books we should read next. So tonight, I have Ryan on the line, and we're going to be reviewing The Witcher. And when I say The Witcher, I mean the book series, the video game, and a little bit of the TV show. So I just finished reading the book series. I've seen the TV show and reviewed it to critical acclaim. And Ryan is a big fan of the video games. Good to be back, Steven. Yeah, I'm kind of the other side of the coin to you where you haven't played the video games. I have, but I haven't read any of the books and I've only seen the first episode of the TV show. So opposite end of the spectrum, I guess. So hopefully our knowledge combines here to give you guys an entirety of a review of the Witcher series. So as we get started here, let me just ask you, Ryan, opening question. Why have you only watched one episode of the TV show? Was it not very good? I guess I just wasn't captivated by it. And to be honest, I don't watch that much TV unless I can watch it with my wife. And she obviously, well, I guess not obviously for most people. My wife isn't a big fan of fantasy anything. So it's not a show that she would like to watch unless there's going to be a lot of romance. So it's kind of fallen behind other activities or shows that I can watch with my wife. Hey, well, actually, the romance is one of my one of the main draws for me. I love the romance between Geralt and Yennefer in the in the TV show. It's awesome. Do you think it's awesome enough to convince somebody who doesn't love fantasy to watch the show? No, she's not going to like it. I, I can <laughs> tell you that. I know her well enough to know she's not going to like it. All right. Well, maybe one of these days I'll get around to watching it on my own. But for now, I'm just going to stick with the video games. Yeah. So how much have you liked the video games? Background. I've only played The Witcher 3. I haven't played The Witcher 1 or 2. But The Witcher 3 is kind of, I think, where the video games really took off. With the first two video games, there wasn't a lot of exposure, I thought. And I was playing video games during the times that they came out. I was never... They were never even on my radar. And I don't know exactly if it was just due to a lack of popularity at that point or just I didn't ever venture into that genre of video games, but I didn't even know they existed until The Witcher 3. But with that being said, I feel like The Witcher 3 has almost become the gold standard of video games. Just everybody compares games to The Witcher 3 with the open world, the side quests, the main quests, the characters, the magic system, the fighting. Well, the fighting can be a bit repetitive, but I do feel like The Witcher 3 has just kind of 
blown all of their games out of the water in recent years. And so that's kind of what led me to play it. And I loved it. Cool. So I'm not familiar really with the style of video game. I'm not a huge video gamer, but it sounds like this is an open world almost similar to Breath of the Wild. Yeah, it is. It is very similar to Breath of the Wild in which you kind of have an open map and you can travel pretty much everywhere with various side quests or just little like, treasure chests that you can find that might need, might not even have a side quest around it or monster nests that you can destroy. Lots of things that you can do along the way outside of the main quest. And so it is similar to Breath of the Wild in that sense. It is quite different in terms of the combat and the magic system. And it's, I think, a little bit more story-driven than Breath of the Wild. Okay, so and then, and I want to ask you more about the actual plot of the video game, but let's save that conversation for when we talk about the book and we can compare the book's plot to the video game plot. You were telling me a little bit before, and honestly, I kind of like how the video game does their plotting better than the books. Yeah, I think that, I mean, there's there's the short stories that is written by the author, and I think those fit really well into this open world RPG where there's lots of side quests. They can just translate a short story into a side quest. And uh, I think the the transformation from the short story format to this video game format was pretty seamless. And then the main story, I think, has a few alterations from the book, I think. And correct me if I'm wrong here, but we were chatting on our Discord. And is this company that made the Witcher games, have they been linked to a possible Mistborn video game as well? You know, I actually don't know about that. I I think we've been speculating that it would be cool if they had made it, but I don't I don't think there's really anything to lead me to believe that they are making it. Just they they have both they they've renegotiated the rights to the IP with for making further video games with the author of The Witcher. So I think they're going to be continuing that as well as they're generating their own IP with a game coming out and the fall called cyberpunk 2077 i believe and a lot of people are excited for that so i think between those two games if they're going to match up to the witcher 3 in content then they have a lot on their plate already okay so maybe i was just starting a unfounded rumor but uh, honestly if a mistborn video game came out that might be enough to get me into video games that'd be cool that would be awesome especially by cd project red Okay, and then you mentioned the author. The author's name, my best attempt here, because he's got a Polish name, Andrzej Sapkowski. I'm gonna I'm gonna venture that out there. Hopefully I'm close. You've noticed that I've just been referring to him as the author, and that is intentional because I didn't want to try and pronounce his name. So I will continue referring to him as the author. You could probably say it, Sapkowski. Not that hard. Well hopefully that's right. Sapkowski. I I mean, it could be right, but I feel like the author is the safer choice for me. <laughs> anyway, okay, so he is, he's Polish. He originally wrote these books back in the 90s to late 90s, maybe early 2000s. But there are two books of short stories and then a sequence of five books and then one additional story that's a prequel to the, uh, to the other seven. So I just finished reading the seven, the two short stories, and the sequence of five, and I don't think I'm planning on reading 
the prequel. Full disclosure here, I was not a huge fan of the books, unfortunately. Honestly, I, I'm not really sure why I kept on reading after the first few. That's interesting you say that. So I feel like the books have recently risen in popularity and just people recommending them largely due to the video games becoming so big. I could be wrong on that. That's just my own perspective. So from that perspective, do you think that the Witcher books would be noteworthy without the video games existing? No, not not really, not at all. Sounds like the video games are really solid and something that uh, gamers need to know about. But these books are totally forgettable. If not for the video games and I guess the TV show that it spawned, I don't see this series really going anywhere. Interesting take. I think that's it's just, you know, another example of one form of media not necessarily translating to another form of media, which is kind of crazy considering how how great The Witcher 3 was that the source content isn't equally as good. I definitely agree with you. There are some forms of media that don't translate as well in other forms, but I think this is more unique. I mean, this is just my opinion. But usually the source material is the one that's solid and then the translation may be kind of rough. This yeah. is all, this is opposite. And I know there's lots of fans of the books. And if you look at the Goodreads ratings, there are some there are some high reviews. But if you dive into what people actually write about them, there's a lot of similar reviews to mine. So I don't think I'm too off base. You know, I wonder if the reviews might be inflated because people play the games, they have a good experience with the games, and then they go and read the books and their opinion of the games elevates their opinion of the books. Although that doesn't necessarily make the most sense because I would think that if you have such a high opinion of something, then you would be equal or maybe even more judgmental about the stories, you know? Yeah, I guess I could see it both ways. I feel like I'm a a pretty big apologist of adaptations. Like the Wheel of Time TV show that's coming out, I can tell you right now, no matter what happens, I'm probably going to like it unless it's a complete train wreck. But I know that Jake, who's our Wheel of Time expert, may be a little more critical. So different different viewpoints on adaptations, I guess. Yeah, I think you're right. And, and one of the things that I loved about the video games was the character of Geralt. He, You just kind of feel almost like a James Bond type person. He's just really a bad A when it comes to people dealing with people who cross his path, fighting monsters. He's just a ladies man, you know, and but then when it comes to people who might be down on their luck, he can be compassionate. And so, you know, you just kind of feel like an awesome person as you play the character. Uh, so what's the character like in the books? Yeah, he's pretty similar. And this is one of the themes of the book. He is your typical brooding male fantasy hero where he doesn't really let his feelings out much and you get that in the books and the tv show but at the same time he's got a heart of gold underneath that and he's always trying to help the little guy and he he will self-sacrifice quite a bit so the way you described it is the same character that's definitely one of the highlights of the books for me i was always interested to see what Geralt was going to do next and are there a lot of separate viewpoints besides Geralt? Yes, there are a lot of viewpoints and a lot of strange viewpoints. And that is actually one of the critis- one of my main criticisms, the way that the stories are framed. So if this story was told through Geralt's eyes, not necessarily in first person, but at least just following him along, I feel like it would be much more cohesive and I would enjoy it more. But the author chooses 
to frame the story in, in awkward ways at times. He will create some random character who only exists so that you can see the narrative through their eyes. And then that person will be then saying, oh, Geralt and Yennefer and Ciri did this and this. And I don't see how that adds anything to the story. For example, in the last book, there is this mage oracle type person who is telling you what happened thousands of years into the future. But I don't care about this person at all because I have no background to who they are. And I just kind of skimmed through their parts and I was like, okay, good. Now we're back to Geralt, the part that I actually like. And so it was just an interesting plotting decision. Yeah, I think that obviously that depends on the author. There are definitely authors out there that can write characters who only exist for a chapter to kind of give a different perspective that you're not going to get with the main character. Maybe you see behind the scenes with the antagonist and they do serve a purpose and I do find them interesting. But it sounds like with these books, at least in your opinion, Stephen, you're not motivated to read unless it's Geralt. Pretty much. And I criticized the weird framing of the story, but there are other points of view. Like you get other mages, you get Siri quite a bit, especially in the later books. But again, all of those parts, I was never as invested as when I was reading Geralt's part. So I just wish there was more tie-in between these different parts because Geralt and Yennefer and Siri are for the vast majority of the series doing separate things and you don't get to see them together hardly at all. This was one of my criticisms of the TV show as well. And after finishing the books, I'm a little worried about where the TV show is going because if they continue to follow the books, I don't see it continuing to be a compelling show. Interesting take. But I mean, we do see with the video games, they have proven themselves to be interesting despite your claim of not having the best source content. So maybe the TV show can pull off the same. Yeah, I guess my concern is thus far, the first season was pretty similar to the book. Does the video game follow the same type of pattern? I think you were telling me that the characters overlap a bit more than what I just described, right? Yeah, they do spend quite a bit of time together, at least Geralt and Yennefer do, and Ciri spends some time with them. And interestingly, in the video games, you really only have, at least in The Witcher 3, you only have two playable characters. The vast majority of the game you're playing as Geralt, but there are sort of interludes where you are playing as Ciri. And those were interesting, but you play the game leveling up Geralt, getting equipment for Geralt, and then the times you play Ciri, she has some magic that Geralt doesn't have, but I was always kind of wanting to get back to Geralt. So, Stephen, how did the framing of The Witcher compare to the framing of the Stormlight Archive or Name of the Wind? Yeah, those are two really good comparisons because neither one of those stories are entirely linear in what you're seeing, but those frame in really cool ways. So in the Stormlight Archive, at the end of every part of the main narrative, you get to see the world through the eyes of different characters that may or may not be ever seen again. To this point, a lot of these interlude characters are just kind of randoms. And you don't really care about the character, but what you do get is a broader view of the world. And you get to see things that really diehard fans really think are cool, like the mysteries of the magic and the spren and Roshar as a whole and and Cosmere-related things. So that's cool. And there is a, a purpose of doing that. And then in Name of the Wind... The framing is for a it's for a different effect. You get to see Quoth or Coat, as he's called in the in the framed story. You get to see him as a somewhat older man in this inn, and he doesn't have the same magics that you're hearing talked about 
in the main part of the narrative. So then it drives forward this question of what happened and, and why did the plot get to where to the point where you're seeing it now and you care a lot about Quoth. So those decisions, those framing decisions make a lot of sense. But my criticism with The Witcher is I didn't care about the characters that it was framed through and they did nothing to enhance the world because the world wasn't built out to the point where like in Sanderson's world, you care about all those little nuances. Yeah, well, that sounds interesting. I mean, obviously, we both love the Stormlight Archive and Name of the Wind. Those are some of our favorite books. So it is a high standard to compare The Witcher to. But once again, if it's not close to those books, you know, they're doing something wrong. Yeah, and I feel like he just took some bold and risky decisions in the way that he the way that he set the story up and they didn't really pay off. But here's some examples of maybe the right way to do it if you're going to write a book. And I wonder how this compares to other Polish fantasy. Obviously, that's not something that we are experts in. I, in fact, I haven't read any Polish fantasy. So, I, I mean, maybe it's a cultural thing. I have no idea. I heart, Yeah. What do I know about Poland? Maybe like three things. I might be able to name off an old medieval king of Poland. And I know that they were invaded in World War II. That's about it. Well, you know about as much as I do. So sorry, Poland. We're going to have to learn a little bit more about you and your culture. Hopefully listeners from Poland are not too put off. But hey, you've got, a internet, you've got an internationally acclaimed author from your country. So that's you got that going for you. If you're from Poland and you have strong feelings about this work or a different perspective, we would love to hear about it in our Discord. Yeah, that'd be awesome. For sure, for sure. So let's do a quick content warning. We always do this. Ryan, you tell me what content there is in the video game, and then I'll, I'll let you know what else you can expect in the TV show and book, although I suspect it's about the same. Yeah, so the video game is definitely more mature. There's quite a bit of violence and blood and gore. There's lots of swearing in the game, and there's even some sexual content in which there's nudity. So it is not for kids, I would say. And I it's not necessarily even a game like that. I I don't know that I would have played with that content had it not been so acclaimed. Similar things in the in the TV show, definitely not quite as much violence, but the nudity and sexual content was there. There was certainly some language, and then the book has the same not quite as much swearing. Every now and then there's a foul mouth character. Same on violence. Every now and then there's some pretty severe violence, but for the most of the time, they're just kind of talking and walking around. And then the sexual content, yeah, also there, not super explicit. So I guess out of the three, I guess the book is the tamest, but that also might just be because of the nature of the material. You're not seeing what's happening on screen. Yeah. When a character is naked in a book, you're just kind of reading about it. Whereas if they're naked in a TV show or a video game, you're actually seeing it. Yeah, it's not nearly as provocative. <laughs> one of the Another one of the things that I loved about the video games was just the depth. I felt like you could kind of go anywhere in the world and you could learn something new. There's lots of books which if you'd pick up and read they would you'd only read one or two pages of the books but it would kind of give you some more background to the world you could go uh, the opposite direction of the main quest and do a side quest which would be interesting and worth your time and you'd have fun doing it sometimes in video games 
you're playing through side quests just to get them done and it's not fun. You're just trying to either get them done, get progress towards some objective, something along those. I felt like that was not the case in the video games. So do you think that the books had an equal amount of depth? Interesting. So I'll say yes and no, because they have the depth, but I did not have the same excitement in exploring it that it sounds like you did. Yeah, and I guess, you know, it's presented in a totally different way where the depth of a book is explained by the author at his pace uh, through the voice of the characters or the surroundings of the characters. Um, whereas the video game, y- you can choose to explore something if you don't want to. And Gwent, the card game, I don't know if it's mentioned at all in the books, but that's a big part of The Witcher 3 game is you can collect these cards and you can play card games with other people and this that's something that i just decided you know i don't really want to deal with the card game and so i just kind of avoided it completely and it didn't really affect anything uh, on my playthrough but some people love the gwent card game and they go and they collect all the cards that you can find and that's not necessarily something in a book you have the luxury of doing. You can't really say, I don't want to explore that aspect of the world. And then you just avoid it um, unless you just skip pages. But I guess, you know, another difference in the media of a video game versus a book. Yeah, as far as I know, Gwent is not part of the books. I may have missed it if it was just kind of off in the uh, some ancillary thing. So let me start asking you some plot questions and maybe this is where we start to give spoiler warnings because we're going to talk through the entirety of, of the plots of the video games and the books and the tv show but let me revise what i said earlier i feel like the depth is maybe not there but the breadth is so you hear a lot about different places and kings and customs of those places etc cetera, etc cetera, but they're not explored enough at least not to my liking And what that created for me is just kind of this sense of general confusion as to who was who and where things were and what motivations were. And I'll be honest, I listened to the books and I know that's not always the best way to get comprehension of some of these more in-depth nuances of the story. But I really don't like the fact that I, I just felt generally confused whenever I was hearing larger plot details about kings and nations and armies and i just never knew where anything was or or what the point of it all was so there wasn't really any motivation for you to try to understand that yeah i mean i knew that there was the main conflict with nilfgaard and obviously obviously we want to defeat nilfgaard and we need to get siri back and and she's got some she's got some significance to play eventually at least that's what i was told the whole time but my main motivation was just to kind of read about Geralt and Yennefer. They got back together and, uh, and outside of the, but, but the main conflict with all these different Kings and schemings of mages, etc., it just wasn't interesting, unfortunately. Hmm. So on the note of the romance in the video games, you have the option to choose between Triss and Yennefer you can kind of like you can romance one character or the other and you can attempt to romance both of them although spoiler alert if you do that they'll both kind of pretend to fall in love with you and then they'll end up 
tying you to a bed without any of your clothes on and so you won't be able to romance either of them in that case so no polygamy in the video game no polygamy in the game and so that's kind of a a dispute between gamers a little bit is you know do you like tris or do you like yennefer and and so that's kind of funny does that same love triangle exist in the books a little bit but not to the same degree because so Geralt does get with both of them at different times, but it's all Yennefer is always his true love. And there is a solid canon reason for that because, and, and you actually see this in the TV show as well. In the first book, or actually, no, this is in the short stories, there is a scene where there's a genie, a djinn, that Geralt and Yennefer are trying to control. And Geralt gets control of wishes. And in order to stop, the, the genie from destroying Yennefer and the rest of the town that they're in, he wishes, well, actually his wish is a little unclear, but we know at least that whatever he does wish basically ties them together. They have this compulsion to love each other. And Yennefer kind of resents that obvious, for obvious reasons. But because of that, Yennefer is always the, the one true love. So even though there is some time with Triss, she's really more of a back, uh, background character. You know, that's that's kind of funny that you mentioned that because that actually does exist in the form of a quest in the video games called The Last Wish, I think. That's part of you exploring Yennefer's uh, storyline. Right, and The Last Wish is the name of one of the books of short stories. Okay, so we've talked about the difference in the format. There's the short story, two books of short stories, and then I think you said seven books that are just full-length novels. So seven total, five that are full length, yeah. How did you enjoy the short stories compared to the full length novels? Yeah, so here's the reason why I even started reading in the first place is because I really liked the two books of short stories. The short stories were more were obviously more one-offs and Garrett was hunting monsters and doing cool witcher things and you were getting introduced to characters and it was more exciting. I feel like once he went away from the short stories and decided to expand it, into this broader interarching plotline, he he just struggled to make it cohesive. And there were within this plotline, there were a lot of scenes and even maybe entire books that seemed like they could be short stories in of themselves. So, which, as a reader, confused me because I really wanted more resolution and more progress on the main conflict, which was Nilfgaard invading and Siri being missing. But then there are all these kind of random one-offs and it was just confusing. I, I think that maybe the story could have been told through more books of short stories and then within each short story, there was something that tied in. So you still got nuggets of a plot advancing, but you didn't have the same compulsion as a reader to, to want to know what was going to happen next because you knew that they were just short stories. So it seems like the author is just, he succeeds when he can kind of put together a simple story. He's interesting and he can hold your attention long enough for those simple stories. But then as what I'm hearing from you, when he strives to do something a bit more complex with multiple characters, interwining their interweaving, their different perspectives, it it kind of falls short for you and, and doesn't captivate you. Yeah. And maybe it's partly due to the fact that I've read a lot of more modern fantasy where a lot of the new age authors like Sanderson's, et cetera, do a really great job of tying all those things together, the characters, the magic, the world, the plot, and it all works out and it's really cool. 
And I can't remember what Sanderson calls that, but um, something like the great art, which is from his lecture series, which is how he describes all those things happening. And maybe that just didn't exist as much in 90s fantasy. And reading this is a little jarring for me because that's not it's not there at all. You know, as a side note, I think it's just crazy how much fantasy has progressed decade by decade. And it is a bit hard for me to go back to books even from the 90s or 80s and read them and enjoy them just because they're so different from the fantasy books that are coming out nowadays. Yeah, it does seem like a lot of books are kind of archaic if you go back and try to read them. Really, outside of Lord of the Rings, there's not a whole lot that have held up all that well. That might be a bit of a hot take. So if you've got to come back in a series that you love, an older series you love, um, I'd, I'd be happy to give it a shot. I'm not dismissing all older books, but that's just my opinion in general. You know, I'm trying to think right now of older fantasy books that I have liked. I mean, Malazan Books of the Fallen started in the 90s. So did uh, Song of Ice and Fire that started in the 90s. Those have both kind of held up well, but they've continued to be written in more modern current decades. Right. Same with same with Wheel of Time. So other than those, I mean, I can't I mean, I'm sure I'm missing some books that that I have actually read from that are older that I've enjoyed. But right now I can't think of any. So not not dissing on the 90s, just pointing out that it's different than the books that are coming out nowadays. (laughs) Yeah. Some people love those books and I'm. I'm sure they're great in their own way, but it's sometimes hard for me to see when I'm so used to the current level of writing. So you talked about how you it seemed like what I was saying was that the author, Sapkowski, does a good job of telling a short story and then struggles with a larger narrative. And part of the reason why I haven't even taken the time to summarize the story is I feel like there's not all that much there. Like broad strokes, Geralt's rescues Siri initially when Nilfgaard invades Sintra, her kingdom. Ciri is important because she is, her mother was, as I understand it, kind of this like unstable uh, magical force and that is passed on through Ciri's bloodline. And so a lot of the kingdoms and even the elves are trying to capture Ciri to breed magical children and take over the world, although that's not described super well and it always talks about this idea of destiny and series fate is going to determine the destiny of all of these kingdoms spoiler alert it doesn't really she just kind of fades off into the black after other things have been decided so anyway after uh, Geralt and Ciri and Yennefer initially meet up there is a lot of the exposition that you see in the tv show and in the short stories which I liked and that was up to that point, I really enjoyed the stories and thought they were going in a good direction. But after that is where I really struggled because I feel like the majority of the story is them just kind of wandering around and losing Siri and trying to get her back and getting into random conflicts and mages, politicking with leaders, and none of it really affecting the broader narrative at all. And then at the very end, spoilers for the end, they finally de- defeat Nilfgaard. Geralt and Yennefer are killed in the falling action. So this is outside of the main climax. The Geralt and Yennefer just get into a scuffle with a bunch of non-human and human combatants. And Geralt, as always, is trying to stand up for the little guy. He gets killed when he's attacked unexpectedly. Yennefer tries to bring him back and sacrifices herself. They both die. 
Then there's kind of this out of body thing where Siri ushers them into the afterlife. And then Siri goes into Camelot. She just hops into a different world and meets up with Galahad and decides, eh, forget the other world. And none of the promise of Siri's destiny being all that important came to bear. So I was just left very confused at the end of the series. Like, what did I just read? And what was the point of any of it? The video game's ending varies depending on the choices that you make, obviously. But I felt like I was kind of satisfied with the ending of Witcher 3 Wild Hunt, where Geralt defeats the leader of the Wild Hunt, and Ciri defeats this sort of antagonistic force called the White Frost, which is destroying worlds, I guess. And so everybody wins. And there is some ambiguity because... Geralt and Yennefer both live, but depending on the choices you make, either Ciri lives and becomes emperor, or she lives and fakes her death and becomes a witcher, or it's unclear whether or not she lives or dies. And so that is obviously very different from the books. So uh, I think that maybe CD Projekt Red will have some, some of their own creative control of where it goes from there in the future. Yeah, if this CD Project Red group was able to take the rambling storyline in the books and turn it into something this high quality, then hats off to them. And I would look forward to playing any of the games that they put out because it sounds like they did an awesome job of creating their own uh, really high content story. So I think one of the most interesting things of the story in the video games that they didn't get into all that much, they did a little bit, but it's sort of the background of The Witchers. and like the genetic mutations which they undergo and it's all kind of a mystery do they explore that very much in the books they do some for sure especially at the beginning nothing in detail like you never understand it takes to become a witcher there are some trials that only a small percentage of people survive and siri actually passes those and is on her way to becoming a full-fledged witcher i don't ever get the sense that she does become a full-on witcher but she gets some abilities that combined with her magic abilities, she's kind of her own unique thing. One of the things that it talks about quite a bit is that witchers are unfeeling and emotionless and just foreign to other humans. That's another theme that is discussed quite a bit, uh, what it is to be human versus non-human. But Geralt kind of subverts that because this guy is like the only good guy in the entire continent and has a lot of feelings and is always standing up for the little guy and loves Yennefer. And so it was really kind of unclear to me why everyone thought that witchers had no emotions, but Geralt was certainly full of emotion, even though he never really showed it to anyone. Hmm. That was just kind of more of my own interest, uh, wondering if the books should would have answered some of those questions that I had. But it sounds like I already kind of knew all of that stuff. And, and honestly, I may have missed some details. I'm going to be completely honest. I got so down on the books that there were times where I did not pay as much attention as other readers would have. But come on, I mean, I think that speaks to the the quality of the material if I'm not even interested enough to to pay enough attention to what's going on. Yeah, so did you have any questions about the video games that you were curious about? Yeah, I was interested where you said that the the backstory and a lot of the, the side plots that you can explore... You said that those things are really interesting. How so? Because that was almost the opposite in my reading experiences. I didn't care about 
this side things going on at all? I mean, I think it's sort of interwoven with the video game RPG model of you use those to progress, you gain experience, and you also learn about the world in those ways. So, I mean, it is kind of a sweeping statement to say all of the side quests were interesting because they weren't all interesting. But there were side quests that you could kind of spend hours in determining sort of maybe the case of something plaguing a town. I remember there was one story in which you kind of like go through this haunted tower. You're trying to figure out what's caused this tower to be haunted and causing all of these townspeople's troubles. I don't remember all the details, but I remember kind of being at the edge of my seat, playing through it, just you encounter lots of ghosts. Uh, does that sound familiar? Does that sound like a short story in the books? Possibly. Was this the was this the time when you fought a striga? What's a striga? A striga is a um, is, is basically an undead vampirish creature that is very fast and very powerful. You know, it could have been. I'm sorry that I am. I'm not remembering all the details, but that was just kind of. One example of a side quest that captivated me. I'm sure it's, I'm sure it's a side quest from the books. If if I probably remembered it a bit better, we could compare. And so I remember you showed me a trailer for one of the games. I don't remember if it was one, two, or three, but there was a really extended scene where Geralt was fighting the Striga. Do you, you remember that? Um, you're you're in a castle. It's kind of like flying around, and you eventually trap it. This is the girl who transforms, right? She's she's yes, yeah. in the tomb and then she breaks out and then Geralt's right. kind of hunting right. it. Yeah. So that I think it's for it's for The Witcher 2. Okay. And that's one of the best episodes in the TV show as well. So I really like what they've done with the side quests and, and short stories and sounds like the video game builds on that, the TV show is built on that, the best of the books were built on that. So again, I'm concerned about where the TV show is going because if they just continue to go forward with with the canon of the books, ooh, I don't know how much more there is that I'm going to like. Yeah, well, maybe we'll have to do a follow-up with season two of the TV show. I guess we'll definitely do that. Yeah, no, de- definitely going to do that. I liked the show quite a bit, but concerned about where it's going. I hope they're bold enough to make some uh, creative decisions to move away from the uh, the source material because it sounds like the video game has done that and they've they've had a lot of success in doing so yeah i hope it's like season eight of game of thrones oh my gosh don't even <laughs> go there oh yeah I'm, I'm still not over that some bold moves went down in that season bold but unfortunate because dave and dave let us astray they are nothing that cd project red so much better than dave and dave but although i mean Dave and Dave started off really strongly and then they kind of... Yeah, because, but but that's only because they had the source material, right? They were doing awesome when they were adapting one of the greatest fantasy authors ever. When they were adapting his source material, they did great. But then once they did their own thing, oh man, so season seven and eight were awful. Yeah, I think there's some dispute as to whether they were actually, they actually had the ending and like that George R. R. Martin had planned. So I hope not. Yeah, so do I. I hope that uh, I hope that GRRM has some twists up his sleeve, and I hope he actually writes them and gets them out to us before he dies. That would be nice too. Anyways, we're getting a bit off track. I don't have any more questions for you. Yeah. So, so one other thing I wanted to mention in a positive light: one of the 
reoccurring things that I liked in the stories were the subversions of maybe not even subversions, but just retelling of some classical fairy tales. And again, this was mostly happening in the short stories. But some of the short stories just, it wasn't too hard to tell that they were telling of more like Brothers Grimm type tales. And I hope these are Brothers Grimm tales. I guess what I'm just saying is classical tales. So Snow White, for example, is kind of retold, except Snow White's a monster. And there's a, another one with Rapunzel and some some others that just kind of call to more traditional European fantasy tales but then you insert Geralt as a monster hunter. And that's what really kind of grabbed me initially because I was reading it and I was like, oh my gosh, this is just this other story that's being retold. And I thought that was really cool and wish he would have kind of kept on going with that through the rest of the series. Now those sound like something that I would want to read. Yeah. So my recommendation for listeners, if you made it this far is read the short stories If you absolutely love the short stories, I guess keep on going with the books. But if you start to get bored, it's not worth finishing. Sadly, this is a this is a DNF shelf for me. And I'm really kind of confused to this day. I'm I'm confused why I continued reading. I think maybe just because I wanted to get this podcast out. (laughs) That's how dedicated I am to the podcast. Wow. You really just put yourself on the line for all of our listeners here. So thank you, Steven. I, I, I will read anything, I guess is what I'm saying. Join our Discord and tell us to read something, and I I will read it eventually. I don't know if that goes for myself, but maybe. I mean, there's five of us that are pretty regular on the podcast, so we'll probably get to it eventually. We're reading, uh, right now we're reading a self-published author's work called Shadowless, and actually enjoying that quite a bit, so um, we're looking forward to getting a review of that out. Yeah, I I think that I haven't gotten to it yet. I I think we've all sort of become audible listeners and subscribers just because it's so easy to listen to books while doing other things and it's hard to sit down and read, but I have not. And so we don't have shadowless in an audio book, so I haven't necessarily started it. Yeah. Sadly in our advanced age, we no longer have the same amount of time to sit down and read books. So for me, it's a lot of either on my commute I'm listening or as I go to sleep, I'm listening, or if I'm bored at work and doing something mundane, then I'll then I'll listen, but that's not too often. There you go. Okay, so let's close here with our with our worst of the best segment. So listeners will probably know this is where we talk about something we really like in the content we're covering, except for one thing that just kind of ruined it. So the worst moment from uh, from something that otherwise would have been the best. So I don't know if you have one, Ryan. But uh, since I just finished reading the book, I have actually two that I wanted to bring up. So first, and kind of quickly, was towards the end of the book, there's a cool twist with the Emperor of Nilfgaard is revealed to be Ciri's father. His name is Dooney. He was previously thought to be missing at sea. And there's some backstory with him as well, because in the short stories, he was a knight that was cursed to resemble this hedgehog porcupine type thing. And Geralt comes in and kind of saves the day. And this is prior to Ciri even being born. And so he sets up Dooney with this seat in the royalty because he ends up marrying Ciri's mother. And then in the books, towards the end, you find out that the emperor is Gasp Dooney. And he's trying to get Ciri, but for the same reasons as everyone else, because he wants to marry her and have her have his children 
and thus make Nilfgaard stronger. So uh, on the one hand, I'm like, awesome, twist. We haven't seen this guy for a while, and it makes sense that someone we know might be the Emperor of Nilfgaard because it's kind of been hinted out a bit. But he's going to impregnate his daughter? Like That's the motivation here? Are we sure that George R. R. Martin didn't write this under a Polish pseudonym? Yeah, possibly. Or maybe, maybe they're buddies and they collaborated on this twist. But it was a little too much for me. I mean, there's some strong themes here, but that's a little much. Why can't he just be trying to find Siri to find his daughter? That's how he is in the video games. He's, he's kind of a normal concerned dad, not a weird incestuous one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, incestuous dads, that's, that's bad news. You don't want to write about those things. Yeah. That's something you can get away with in the, in the 90s, but certainly not today. I agree. 90s, keep your incestuous dads to yourself. <laughs> or twin brother and sister, too. That's, just keep all your incest to yourself. So for mine, uh, it, this has kind of become sort of a meme in which as you're going uh, throughout the world in the video games, Geralt has a few different one-liners that he'll say. And one of them, and he just... As you play this game for hours and hours, of course, you hear the same exact one-liners over and over and over again. And so one of them is like, wins Hal, and he just says that just so many times. It's just kind of laughable every time you're exploring, and then randomly Geralt will just say, wins Hal. Huh, okay. And it doesn't really necessarily mean anything? Yeah, it doesn't doesn't really mean anything. Um, It's just, you know, kind of some dialogue, I guess, that the cd project red put in to break up the monotony of walking around in silence yeah in fact i'm looking up right now there's um, a 10-hour video uh on youtube in which Geralt says wins hallen for 10 hours <laughs> i guess that just kind of characterizes Geralt's character as being a typical brooding man that doesn't have a whole lot to say and he just says something tough like wins hallen yeah you brought it back. You you created a canon reason for him saying that over and over again. Very good. The line from the TV show that's memed a lot is "Hmm F," <laughs> and that that kind of gets at the same characterization, right? Yep. Geralt, not much to say, so he says it over and over again. So let me give you one more worst of the best to kind of end the podcast on. So this was something that I kind of liked, but I thought could have been cooler. There's a moment in the final book where Siri is jumping from in, jumping from world to world, and you don't get a sense of what exactly these worlds are, but she goes to the fairy realm, and she goes to the, the elf realm, and then she goes to Camelot, and then she goes to the typical world of the mortals on the Witcher continent. So so I thought that was fine. That, that was kind of cool, and it was nice to see you know, some magic happening and then some more characterization of uh, of the world. And then I thought, wouldn't it be cool if some of the worlds that she was going to were other worlds from mainstream fantasy books? Like all of a sudden she's on Roshar. And yeah, I understand the book was written in the 90s. So Roshar obviously wasn't a thing. But like, and it doesn't need to say that it's Roshar, but she's just like in the, in the midst of the shattered plains and there's crustaceans scuttling around and then she's gone. And so anyone other than like a really deep rooted fantasy fan wouldn't understand what it is. But for someone like me who knew what it was, you're like, oh man, that's awesome. That's Roshar. And you wouldn't even have to credit Sanderson because it would just be like, oh yeah, she visited a crustacean type world. Yeah. It, just sort of like an Easter egg for those dedicated fantasy listeners. Yeah. Yeah. More Easter eggs, I guess is what I'm calling for. 
it, it's funny that you bring that up because in um, in the games she she has some sort of entry where she goes to a very futuristic place with like lots of lights and I think flying cars. She describes it somehow like that, and people speculate. Well, maybe she's going to the world of Cyberpunk 2077, which is the next game that CD Projekt Red is coming out with, which has not been verified by CD Projekt Red. So it's pure speculation, but it's kind of interesting. Yeah, I like that. Easter eggs are cool. Yeah, CD Projekt Red. I I like what I'm hearing about them. Sound like a cool company. Yeah, maybe you'll have to watch some more YouTube videos on the video games. All right, Ryan. Well, I see that you just grabbed one of your cats. So I think that is our our signal to sign off. I'm cradling him like a baby. Beautiful. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, thanks for having me, Steven. Yeah, thanks for talking through The Witcher. Thanks for giving me your insights on the video games. And uh, until next time, this is Phantology Podcast signing off. See you later.